Hey guys, the Premier Chels is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm one of your hosts, Jackie, and I'm with my two friends here, Rahul and Alex. Guys, I think after a couple of back-to-back episodes and back-to-back defeats, we finally can come on here with the Swartz the Saints, maybe? Alex, what do you think of that? Yeah, that is quite the way to turn things around, and as we've always known, Chelsea are a confusing team. They, yeah. I feel like we don't usually have, at least under Tuchel, extended periods of terrible form. But at the same time, we also sometimes struggle to string together, at least recently, consistent periods of good form. So up and down and up and down. But this weekend wasn't up. Rahul, I guess Chelsea is like the stock market, huh? You can never predict them sometimes. <laughs> You absolutely can't. And when you expect them to do well, they don't. And when you are kind of questioning what's going to happen, they come out and, and blow away a, a Southampton team that honestly have been doing pretty well and could have been a tough opposition. Yeah, that's true. Why don't we jump into it, Rahul? I'll stick with you. Uh, take us through maybe the starting lineup and then we can kind of go from there. Yeah, so, I mean, we went back to our uh, original formation here with the back three. Uh, Christensen comes back in uh, after having that horrible first half against Madrid. Thiago Silva and Rudiger, the other two center backs. Uh, surprisingly, Ruben Loftus-Cheek comes in as a right wing back, uh, and we can discuss on how he did. N'Golo Kante, Kovacic in the midfield. Alonso returns as well. Uh, and then up front was slightly a tweak, uh, in, in at least on paper, with Mason Mount playing uh, number 10 with behind Timo Werner and Kai Havertz, who play their strikers. Yeah, Alex, I'll bring you in for the discussion here. Based on the formation we were seeing on paper, like Rahul alluded to, it's almost like a V attacking lineup. At times, it's switched to an A attacking lineup or an arrow, whatever you want to call it. What did you make of having uh, this fluidity and then maybe two strikers at some point in the game up top? I think it's it's definitely it's definitely an interesting way to play. And I think especially given Tuchel's system with the wingbacks attacking and going forward, I think it's the type of system that could really suit us against these smaller teams when they will park the bus, when they're expected to come and play a little more defensively. Um, Remains to be seen whether this kind of thing could work against a a slightly better opponent perhaps. But I like the fact that it does give us the opportunity to have a lot of players going forward into the box. Um, And I know a lot of Chelsea fans have been saying for a while whether you love or hate Mason Mount, whatever you think of him as a player, there is sort of a feeling that you don't get the best out of him when he's out wide on the wing in those sort of traditional positions where you might see Pulisic or Ziyech playing. Um, I think a lot of people can at least recognize that Mason Mount is quite effective through the middle. Um, We saw his ability to provide uh, assists. We've seen his ability to score goals. I think that sort of central floating role for Mount is a very, very effective position for him. And it's complemented by the fact that the defense then has two strikers ahead of him to deal with. Um, So I really like that kind of fluid attacking lineup. And I think it's a good thing to have in the arsenal for Tuchel going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I I tend to agree with you as well, Rahul. I'll bring you in for your thoughts in just a second here, but I do think Mason Mount through the middle offers a lot more going forward, but also defensively, just because of his work rate. I think we've touched on his work rate enough on so many episodes here. And at some point, I think if you wear glasses, you may have been taking them off and rubbing and says that Frank Lampard coming through the middle because there were some shades of Frank in in that that performance. Rahul, I'll bring you in because I see you smiling at that comment. I I was going to talk about his haircut and and how he's turned into a new person. (laughs) Uh, And maybe that new person is Frank Lampard light, which is totally fine with us. No, but you're, you guys are right. I think playing him in, in 
around in the middle behind two strikers or behind the, the, the front men uh, benefits him because he can play in between the lines in a sense he, and, and maybe drag people from midfield towards him, which opens up space for people behind him. So I think it was a, a smart move from, from Tuchel. I'm sure he wasn't expecting it to go the way it did, but uh, when things have been going so badly the last two games, uh, I'm sure he'll take this and, and uh, use it towards the, the game coming up uh, on Tuesday night. Just a little stat to add to what Alex was saying about Mason Mount. This is, he has both scored and assisted in a single Premier League game for a fifth time this season. Uh, and he has done that top. He's top with Mo Salah doing that. No, no one else has done it more than the two of them. So he's keeping some good company. And I was a little critical of him last episode. So uh, the haircut has, has changed him. And maybe a few comments you may have heard from the Premier Chelsea have, have changed him too. Yep, they said the haircut's got got it out of his eyes so he can see where he's going now at this point. But that's all funny. It's it's not the reason. But uh, we got six goals against Southampton, guys, which is a, a big scoreline, Rahul. I think uh, biggest Premier League away win for Chelsea this season, right? Yeah, joint uh, biggest top flight away win for Chelsea along with uh, Barnsley in 1997 and Wigan in 2010. So it's been a while since we've done it, but uh, what a time to do it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good comeback. Alex, I'll bring you in for the discussion. I know you didn't get to watch the game, but you did get to catch some of the highlights, which is, I think, more than enough highlights to watch there because of the amount of goals. But first goal comes in the form of Marcus Alonso. He's a man that takes a lot of heat, but also takes a lot of praise when he gets up in the box. Uh, big credit to Mason Mount. We've already praised him a lot for that one, but he was able to flick the ball, and Alonso does what Alonso does best. He finds it back to the net. Yeah, I thought when I saw that clip, I thought it was really summing up sort of some of the strengths of these players. And you see how just the fluidity of the system allowed Mason Mount to really end up in a almost central striker role. Um, but he had some space because of the runs of the players around him, um, which had given him some freedom to move. And then his really just instinctive little flick to the side was was perfect and that's exactly what you get from having this wing back system when the attacking players know that the players on the flanks the fullbacks well i guess not even fullbacks their wingbacks under tuchel are always going to be there lurking ready to try to put a shot in ready to crash the net for a rebound and we've seen this many times i always feel like i mean i certainly don't think it's a hot take to say that alonzo isn't a long-term option as a, as a wide back. We know he has some limitations, but I do have to give him some credit. I've, I've always thought that, you know, more often than I think he gets credit for, he does step up and contribute in an attacking sense um, to a point that, you know, doesn't always make up for some of his defensive errors, but certainly brings his value as a rotating piece in the squad. And I think obviously we all wish Chilwell were still fit. He was in fantastic form beforehand, but Marcus Alonso has very consistently delivered the goods in an attacking sense from out wide. Um, I can think of several London derbies in which he's done it. I can think of some nice free kicks he scored. And I can think of a lot of times that he has just been in the right place at the right time uh, on the left. So credit to him for that. And I think that that little Mason Mount pass shows exactly why he's valuable in terms of his interplay and his attacking instincts and as you guys said shades of frank there yeah I and mean, thank you for heaping the praise on alonzo i think he's also a long-term chelsea player at this point given some of the names around he's been with us a long time and so while rahul i'll bring you in while we don't always see him as the the long-term left back at least we know he's contributing where he can but let's talk about the other guy that did the assist for him um, mason mount we've praised heap on him he praise on him i'm sorry he, he comes in there and he gets another goal a few minutes later from outside the box. I think you were asking him to do more of that in the previous match, right? Yeah, I, I think I ask all, all our players to shoot from <laughs> further out and not try to walk the ball in all the time because it, it catches the opposition by surprise. And uh, in this case, he does well. He controls it and then hits it right into the corner there. Uh, Fraser Foster, I believe the goalkeeper, wasn't expecting it. I think he kind of expected us to maybe put it out wide or, or play it. And that's where, you know, you take people by surprise, you take the opposition by surprise and all of a sudden you're two nil up. And I think it was like 16 minutes or so. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think Mason Mount has the ability, but a lot of our other players, I, we've seen Kovacic do it and Conte do it a few times. So uh, maybe something for us to build on upon for the rest of this season. 
Absolutely. And 2-0 up in 16 minutes is something that put all of our minds at ease, given the couple of games we've just come off. And I think at that point, we could sense blood in the water and we wanted to, to put put the sword to Southampton at that point. But let's talk about one man, guys, and that's Timo Werner. He's had an interesting season, a couple of seasons here with us now where he probably hasn't lived up to the hype that we were expecting when he came to us from the Bundesliga. He was probably one of the top goal scorers there. Goal machine role, I've heard you refer to him as. In the 22nd minute, he gets his goal. But before that, we haven't even covered. He hit, I think, both posts and the crossbar before he finally gets that one in. Alex, I'll bring you in for that goal. Uh, Well-deserved, well-taken by Timo Werner, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think he he certainly deserved it. And I, I having watched those highlights, it just I was amazed to see post post crossbar it was he was doing everything except put it in the net but you almost you you felt like it wasn't like those other Timo Werner performances that we've seen sometimes in the past where he misses a big chance and you say oh he needed to put that in because I think the team was really pumping out these chances Chelsea were linking up dangerously and it it was more a feeling of of when not if Timo was going to put one in the back of the net Um, and I think I think the really the, the really important thing that it goes to show is that as much as we've all had our criticisms of Timo, this game really showed that in the right system, in a system that plays to his strengths, he is still a good player. And I'm talking about the space in behind, the opportunities to play on the transition, to be running at the opposition, um, to use his pace, and also not being played as a single center forward um, and having a supporting striker, having other players around him, because that just draws a little bit of the attention off him and lets him make those good runs that we know he's very capable of. So I think it, it really was quite the Timo Werner showcase in the sense of, of reminding people used correctly in the correct games against the correct opposition. This guy can be very, very, very dangerous. Unfortunately, I think a lot of Chelsea games end up with, um, as Rahul, you'd mentioned us trying to walk the ball into the net and the opposition really parking in their own box. And that is just not where Timo's skill set lies. But I was in, I was surprised almost to see how open this game looked and it really suited him. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Timo doesn't seem, at least from what I can tell, to prefer the physical aspect of the Premier League. And him being single strike up front, usually I think that doesn't always go for him. So Alex, it's a valid point with two and some other players around him, you're not going to get two, three guys bullying Timo Werner or being necessarily physical on him. And they give him the space to run in. And that goal, I think he pretty much made it, made it on his own. It's, it comes from a back pass or a poor back pass headed back. And he shows his pace. And Raul, what have you called him in the past? Turbo, Turbo Timo comes to life there? I, I've certainly called him Turbo Timo. I don't know about gold machine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, hey, in this game, he, he was the gold machine that we thought we had bought. And, and like you guys said, he... Doesn't give up. Uh, he continues to to go at it. And you, you both mentioned he hit the post, he hit the bar. Uh, finally, he gets his goal. And then late, we'll talk about uh, later, he gets a second one, which I think is only going to suit him well. And and we've said it for the longest time is Timo Werner can't be that single striker that we thought, uh, you know, like we've seen with Didier Drogba, Diego Costa. Those are different characteristics. Those are different type of players. Uh, even Kai Havertz, for a certain extent, for the longest time, we would have said, don't don't see him being that person but he's evolved over the last month or so uh, two months three months uh, and so maybe Timo can now play off of an informed Kai Havertz which is something that we would love to see and uh, again with the right system with the right space to run into because he does have the pace I think he could be very valuable for for our squad uh, I was watching the Man City Liverpool game today and all I could think was Timo would love the amount of space those two teams give you in behind their defense but not to get off track, I think uh, Timo Werner could be a valuable asset if we if we use him right. And that's the hope is that potentially with Kai Havertz coming into form, Tuchel looking for the right system, you could really see Timo getting a, a run of games here. And potentially with this happening, it gives him the confidence to go and build off of it. Maybe the next ch- time he gets a chance, it's not the post, it's going in the net. And so that little bit of confidence may take him a long way. And let's, let's wrap up the first half, guys. Um, Alex, I'll come back to you. King Kai gets in on the action. Again, Timo Werner, I think, creates most of the goal over here on his own. A deflection back from, I think it's the goalkeeper, maybe off the post. I can't remember now because there were so many goals. Uh, but Kai Havertz, right place, right time, and buries it. 
Yeah, if I'm thinking of the right one, I think that was one where he hit it off the post and then Kai tapped yeah. it into the net. It was actually, I was impressed with how he took the chance too because he received the ball, didn't have a ton of space, and he had a really nice dummy fake shot yeah. right before that that put a defender on the ground and opened him for a completely clear far post shot. Unfortunately, it just was... I mean, you can't say it wasn't his day because he still got on the score sheet twice, but he um, he went off the inside of the post. Luckily, Havertz was there to tap it in. But the fake shot especially is something that I, I remember, I think, last season when, when Timo was getting even more minutes and we were sometimes frustrated by his inability to find the net. I'd always kind of wished he would he would throw a little more of that into his game because even just something as simple as, as a, a little dummy can completely open up more space for a good finish. And with the number of shots last season I saw of his that were getting deflected or hitting the defender or going right at the goalkeeper, I always thought, you know, if he could just add a very simple little move to his arsenal, he could definitely level up his, his ability to find the net. And I think there it was, it was really, once again, impressive play from him, tight area, opened up some very good space and unlucky not to go post it in for a goal of his own, but uh, we'll take it as it still went on the score sheet for Chelsea. Yeah. on a different day, I think Timo Werner would have gotten his hat trick in the first half if he was a little more lucky, but Rahul, I'll bring you back in. We've had a lot of chances in many different games and first half, particularly we go down sometimes one nail down, sometimes nail nail. In this game, we go down first half four nail up. Is this what happens when we take our chances? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I came, I had gone out, I came home and it was 4 0. And my wife herself was like, What is going on? <laughs> because she's watched Chelsea through the season with me and, and seen me get animated, get angry at, at, the, at the TV and at the players. And all of a sudden, here we are 4 0 up. And uh, I'm relaxed and about to be like, You know what? We could just go back out again because this game's pretty much over. But that, that, and we create our chances. It's just we don't take them. And this game, we do. Uh, hopefully we save some for midweek because we'd love a 4-0 lead at halftime there. Absolutely. I think that's the biggest thing we'd like to talk about. We'll, we'll save some of that excitement and goals for later, Rahul, but absolutely. Let's get into the second half for a minute. Uh, quick change at halftime. I think Kai Havertz coming off for Christian Pulisic. That's probably with keeping that game in midweek in mind. Alex, good to see Christian Pulisic coming into the game as well. Yeah, I think it's it's important that he continues to get minutes and we know to, to keep him sharp, to keep him involved. Um, you want to make sure your, your best players are rotating and they're staying fit, staying healthy, staying rested, but also staying sharp enough to come in and make an impact. So I think it was also very smart, certainly to take Kai off, um, given that he's proven to be uh, arguably, I think you would say our, our best goal threat over the course of the past couple months. Um, so I think he's going to be crucial uh, in the champions league, second leg and Polisic, I think hopefully could be poised to make an impact, whether that's starting, whether that's off the bench. I think both of those players are, they have that little bit of magic in them um, when they show up on a good day. And I think, I think hopefully for us, this performance and this sort of route of a, of a team gave us a much needed little boost for some of these star players to say, you know what, we've still got this. We can turn things around. And I like how you said that regardless of if Pulisic starts or comes off the bench, I think just keeping his legs warm and keeping him match fit, maybe that's the best way to say it. It's, it's very smart of Tuchel. Yes, you're taking Kai Havertz off, but Pulisic is definitely a contender to potentially start that next game or even come off the bench. So, But Rahul, I think second half after that change, we pretty much pick up where we left off. Like you said, you could have gone off because the game was pretty much done and dusted at that point, but Chelsea didn't think so. And Timo Werner getting on the score sheet pretty much a few minutes after the, the second half starts. Yeah, similar to what happened to us on Wednesday night. A goal comes early in that second half, and it basically just puts any doubts if there were any to bed in, in Chelsea with Timo Werner feeling good uh, about our chances. And, and I, you could see the fans, at least on Twitter and, and on Instagram, thinking we heading for Southampton's annual 9-0 defeat here because we've seen that over the last two seasons. Uh, and it would have been great for us to be the ones giving it out this time, but Nevertheless, 6-0 isn't, isn't bad either, and, and Timo getting his second one uh, of the afternoon is, is definitely a, a positive. Yeah, and let's wrap up the last goal. Um, Alex, Mason Mount in the right place at the right time. I think he pips Christian Pulisic to finish it in the net after a bit of scuffle in the in the box. 
Yeah, it was, it was a good, I saw it was a very good ball in and then uh, Pulisic hit a hard shot that forced a very good save from the keeper uh, and then just a little scuffle and Mount was the first one to fall on it and get some solid contact to it. So yet again, just showing we do, we do have danger men on the pitch. It's just a matter of using them correctly, making sure they arrive in the right places at the right times. Um, I thought I, I would have obviously loved the political there. Um, but yet again, I was also encouraged by the fact that he's putting these shots on target too. And I think that's something that sometimes that goes, goes a little underappreciated um, when people look at a goal and say, I heard, I think the announcer said, oh, Christian Pulisic probably should have scored there. But especially under pressure uh, with defenders right on your back, a ball coming in very fast. We've seen, I mean, I'm sure everyone sitting on their couch loves to look and say, oh, that should be an easy chance. But we've seen plenty of times players of every level, including absolutely top class attackers, definitely fail to put shots on target um, even from pretty close when the ball comes in quickly. And Pulisic, some of his his past misses, I think they've been described by people as, as missing or, or missing a big chance. All of these, a lot of them that I've noted have come forcing quite good saves, instinctive reaction stops from the keepers he's facing. So I do think that he he's really a dangerous player when he's playing in the right position. And I'm encouraged that he's putting these shots on target because sooner or later, he's going to be getting a little bit of luck. And by putting those shots on frame, they're going to start trickling in. So I think it was, it was good to see him sharp and ready to at least try to get on the score sheet. And yet again, good to see Mason Mount capitalizing on his positioning. Um, so I'm, I'm encouraged. And I think, I think we all knew regardless of the opposition, this was in the wheelhouse of our players to perform. And they, they went out and finally put in a good account of themselves. Yeah, the key is I think Christian Pulisic continues to be involved in key chances is what it comes down to. And I think that's encouraging going into Madrid in the midweek is that all of these guys are firing all cylinders. And, and maybe that's Tuchel's plan is make sure they're ready, they're alive, they're awake, and we take, take it to Madrid in the middle of the week. But Rahul, I know you have some information about Man of the Match based on our uh, Instagram page. But before we get there, let me read the high-level stats just to, to go over a quick topic here. It's it's pretty impressive from Chelsea. And I'll ask both of you guys a question before we get to the Instagram stats. But uh, shots 24 from Chelsea to four from Southampton, 14 on target to one from Southampton, 71% of the ball to 29 from Southampton. And as you can imagine, everything else kind of cascades down that way. Um, Alex, I'll start with you first. Were we that good on the day or was, were Southampton poor on the day? I mean, certainly you have to say Southampton did not put on a good show. They, they were making errors at the back. They were turning the ball over in, in tough positions. Um, frankly, almost reminding, reminding me of how we played against Madrid with <laughs> actually that's that, that does us a disservice. I still think we outplayed Madrid, but reminding me of some of those, those just unfortunate untimely errors that really cost you. Um, and Southampton made a few of those, it really was was not an impressive display for them. But at the same time, I think I think you have to go out and beat the opposition in front of you. And everyone knows that there is no there is no there is no guaranteed easy game in the Premier League. I mean, you can go to the the bottom team in the table and they could show up on their day and and put you through 90 minutes of absolute pain. So I think it's it's a good sign. It's a good sign from Chelsea and you want to be having these kinds of wins. Cause I think they definitely boost morale. They boost confidence and I'm excited. I'm excited. I think it's, it's shown the players that this midweek game is still within their grasp, not a guarantee by any means going to be difficult, but it's, it's reminded them that this is Chelsea. They are skilled. They deserve to be here. And there are certainly, there's a lot of this season left and a lot of things that could still go well for us. That's fair. Rahul, I'll pass it back to you. Uh, take us through if you think Chelsea were good, Southampton were bad, and then let's go into the Instagram stuff. I think Chelsea were good. Southampton played and were, I think, were a little bit shocked by how early we got those goals uh, and we built upon them. And I think Chelsea, at the end of the day, on paper, in person, are the better squad and, and should have won this game. Maybe not a 6-0, but that's what you get when you take your chances. And um Builds up some confidence and hopefully Tuchel doesn't have to munch down a lot of chocolate analyzing that game 
but let's go to the man of the match. And so, yeah, we threw it up on, on Instagram just as a wrap for the weekend, what a lot of people thought, who a lot of people thought was our man of the match. So the options were Mason Mount, as you would expect, Timo Werner, Mar Marcus Alonso, and Mateo Kovacic. Could have put, pretty much put the whole team up there and, and um, you know, we would have gotten votes for everyone. But majority of the votes here are for Mason Mount. Uh, he gets 51%. Timo Werner closing with 46 And then Marcus Alonso and Kovacic between them get 3%. So I don't think any surprises. But before we move on, do you guys have a preference one over the other? Or are you just happy to, to get the win and move on? I think for me, Mason Mount definitely had one of his best games in a Chelsea shirt this season so far. I mean, obviously the Norwich one sticks out as well where he got a hat-trick, but he really had an opportunity to orchestrate that midfield end. Just like Alex said earlier in the episode, him playing in that middle, he gets a lot of chances and a lot of the football flows through him. And, and he's a quality player. He shows them. Yeah, I I think it's... It's obviously, I mean, it's man of the match is always a little difficult because usually there are a few good performers when your team comes away with a win and it's, it's almost like you, you don't want to discredit any of them. Um, I think uh, agreed probably Mason Mount is just, just in terms of overall, if you had to rank the performances, I think he really stepped up um, and delivered the goods, especially given that he's come into some criticism lately. I think he, he, stepped back up and, and reminded us of what he can do in a big way. So that was very good, but, but yeah, don't, don't discredit Timo Werner for sure. I think he, as the poll showed, it, it was certainly a close call because I think Timo, uh, as I mentioned earlier, showed that he does have quality when used correctly. Um, that doesn't come every game that doesn't come against every opponent. But I think if, if Timo is used correctly, he's, he's shown that he can get the business done and he had a really impressive game too. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about some other Premier League fixtures now, guys. It was an exciting weekend, to say the least. Rahul, I'll start with you first. And Everton versus Manchester United, we talked about them in the previous game. And I think we were all in worry for Everton and coming to play such a big game in, at this point in the stage. But they get the job done, 1-0, and they pip Man United to the win. Yeah, well, what a win and. I think they were on like a run of six or seven consecutive defeats and they come into this game and win not only win but keep a clean sheet against arguably one of the best players on the planet uh, who we can talk about in a second about breaking someone's phone uh, <laughs> but I think focusing on the Everton and Lampard piece this this is what he's been trying to get right he's been he's struggled a, a lot he got the Newcastle win in between uh, but then they went back and lost two three games in a row and Finally, they come back and they've beaten Manchester United, which arguably is the start of their toughest run now. I think they have Manchester United, Leicester, Liverpool. But if you start off with the win, you start believing. And obviously, other results around them in the, over the weekend went the way they wanted it to. So they have a little bit of breathing room. But yeah, a great performance from them. You could argue that Manchester United aren't the Manchester United you have seen and, and Lampard himself played against. But doesn't matter. You've beat a big name and you've kept them from not scoring. Uh, so I think for confidence and just for the rest of the season, it gives Lampard and, and his group some belief that they can survive in the league. And you alluded to results going well around them. Burnley losing to Norwich, which was huge. And so opens up a four-point gap for Everton and Burnley. But Alex, let's talk about Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, rumors or news may be coming out of Everton is that he managed to slap a cell phone out of a fan's hands and Merseyside police are investigating that now. Uh, any thoughts yeah, on that? I, I don't think it's rumors. I saw some pretty clear <laughs> videos of uh, a very angry Ronaldo smashing a phone on the ground and then the, some angry posts by the kid's parents. I think it was, yeah, I mean, you see that kind of thing sometimes. You see fans, boil, uh, you see players rather boil over a little bit. You see them vent their frustration. And obviously, I'm sure being constantly criticized and, and jeered at and yelled at doesn't always help. But that's that's part of the life, I guess. And I think you do see this sometimes. You wouldn't normally expect it to be Cristiano Ronaldo because almost always he is just able to be stoic and keep his cool. Um you, yeah, I mean, the headline didn't really surprise me. That's the kind of thing you'd see coming out of the French League or maybe some, some. I would expect maybe some more classic drama, drama queen type. I could totally see Jack Grealish slapping a phone out of a, a fan's hand. 
but to see Cristiano Ronaldo there, that that's a, that's a very big name to have that kind of a public scandal. Yeah, um, I think he quickly tried to correct it. He made a post on Instagram saying, "I'll give some tickets and invite you to be my guest or whatnot." But yeah, I, funny I, coming saw, out there. I saw people saying though that that's really just a double punishment, making the poor kid go and watch <laughs> Manchester United after you broke his phone. So. I, I don't know. Hopefully he does make up for it, get the kid a new phone and, and, and apologizes. But uh, yeah, really, really quite a quite a weird way to end off a, a maybe slightly surprising result. But very good to see see Lampard uh, get the win there. And I think it's he came in at a tough time to a tough club without much time to to, to really impose any sort of style, certainly a difficult ask and he does have Leicester, Liverpool, Chelsea, Leicester again as the next four games. That is a very, very, very tough schedule. But if Burnley, Watford and Norwich don't do anything impressive, I think it is still very much on the table there that he could keep them alive. It'll be down to the wire. Definitely will go down to the wire given that fixture list. But good luck to Frank, as we've always said. Uh, Rahul, on the other side, the Frank Lampard versus Steven Gerrard debate is ongoing. And I say Frank Lampard's better than Steven Gerrard. Aston Villa losing 4-0 to Spurs. That's a fair question. I think if Frank was managing Villa and they went on the run that they've been in, there have been some serious questions. But since it's the media darling and everyone loves Liverpool and, and Steven Gerrard, I see Alex nodding. That means I'm, I'm bantering them pretty well. Um, he, the questions have to be asked, right? He came in, he did a decent job, but you could argue that Dean Smith, who was there before him, could have pretty much done the same thing that and left them, kept them in the league and, and put them in a position where they are right now. So it's going to be interesting what happens next season. But looking at the other side with Spurs, they just they just are a scoring machine. And, and you, you would expect that with Kane, Son, but they brought in Kulusevsky. Uh, I finally learned how to say his name. And he's gotten a bunch of goals. He's impressed. And, and Conte is building something special there. And I think they could make it into the Champions League, which would only elevate his his status in the game and, and hopefully help them bring in players that would make them contenders next season. Yeah, he's definitely solidifying his hold on that fourth spot. I do I do see that Arsenal have a game in hand, but let's talk about Arsenal, Alex. I know you like to banter them and banter them all you want this time. They lose to Brighton 2-1. Yeah, all I could say is I'm going to have a lot of tweets to reply to of Arsenal fans <laughs> making Champions League compilations and, and talking about <laughs> I mean, there were some, I saw some great stuff on, on, <laughs> saw some great stuff on, on Arsenal fans saying, oh, well, you know, stop lumping Chelsea in with Liverpool and City. We can still catch them. We've got, we've got a surprise cooking for Chelsea. We'll show them. Um, yeah, all I can say is it must not be very good cooking because <laughs> Arsenal, Arsenal bottling the Champions League would be absolutely poetic. And as much as I hate Spurs as a Tottenham fan, Really, I think I think you, you got to look at it and say probably given West Ham with two more games played than Arsenal are three points behind them. Probably it's it's one of our, our major London rivals, um, if you still call them that, who are going to sneak into the Champions League. I say sneak in because I don't think either club is is currently Champions League status. But hey, one of them's going to make it. Um, I wouldn't mind if it's Tottenham just because I would absolutely love to see the Arsenal fan meltdown that would uh, follow that, that turn of event, especially, especially with Tottenham kicking them out of the places I think would be ultra, ultra sweet. So we'll see how that goes, but London is only one color. As my shirt says, there you go. <laughs> that is, that is not up for debate. That is definitely not up for debate. I love that you're wearing that shirt today. But no, Arsenal, in typical Arsenal fast fashion, just let it go. They can't beat Brighton. Raul, you put a little meme up about uh, Basuma celebrating them getting into fourth last year. But this year, fourth's getting further and further away. Yeah, he they stopped them last time around. And I believe in 2019, it was they lost to Palace. They came home and drew to Brighton. This time around, they lost to Palace. They lost against Brighton. And it seems like they've handed the... The initiative to Spurs for now, at least, but they both got to play each other and Spurs got to play Liverpool. So there's still a lot to unfold here, but you think with the way things are going, Spurs will get it done. Yeah. Let's talk about the big game from the weekend, guys, and that's Manchester City versus Liverpool. And if you didn't watch this game, this was a hot game. I mean, I had a little bit of panic attack seeing how high both of these defensive lines play. I don't know how they do it, but 
they were going at each other's throats. Raul, I'll stick with you for this one. It ends 2-2, but my goodness, what a match to watch. Yeah, it was just back and forth, back and forth, like you were saying, with the high lines and the attacking and referee decisions weren't weren't the best, but kind of expect that at this point from uh, from just the referees in the Premier League. But I think on just on a footballing basis, it was just top level, top level football from everyone on the pitch giving their all. And Kevin De Bruyne, man, that man was playing in the 95th minute like he had just started the game and in. They could have easily won it. Liverpool could have won it too, but I think a draw is a fair result and, and the title race goes on for now, at least. Definitely keeps it alive for now. Alex, I'll bring you in for your thoughts on that one. Yeah, it's. I think everyone, everyone knew this was a big game and honestly, a draw is almost the expected result in my mind because I, I feel like teams almost cancel each other out. They're both, they're both talented. They've got those high lines. They, they're not invincible, but they're, they're very good at winning games. Obviously I feel like it almost, it almost had to be a draw because that just keeps, that just keeps the, the race that much closer. It really works right into the script. Um, and I think, I think this is going to be one classic end of the season. It's going to be exciting. Um, it's going to go going to go down to the wire at the top and bottom of the table. So certainly keeps things interesting. And I've got to say, if if I had to pick, I'd be OK with the the tier two oil club, Manchester City, not even the original oil club. That's a, I'd be OK with the tier two oil club grabbing that title because I don't want Liverpool fans to start talking again. They are they are insufferable when they start winning a couple games and then suddenly their entire squad is the best in the world. So I want hopefully Man City to pull it out. You know, we'll suck it up and then and then eventually our time will come to reclaim the title as best oil club. There we go. Rahul, let's talk about some of the Instagram story updates you can share with us. And I think you've got a fan question you want to post to us over here. Yeah, so let me just jump into here. Uh, I Just going off of the Liverpool City game, I asked our followers who they think would win the title. And everyone kind of has the same sentiments around it with like Alex, 72% won Man City, 28% won Liverpool. Uh, not sure what these 28% are doing on a Chelsea page, but we may have been spammed by some Liverpool fans. Uh, finishing fourth, like we were talking about, 75% think our uh, Spurs will get it done. 21% think Un uh, Arsenal and then 4% think Manchester United. So there is still some hope for them. Uh, and just looking at the other end of the table, can Frank and Everton stay in the Premier League? 85% think they can. So it's looking well for, for every, everyone we've spoken about, especially Frank Lampard. Uh, and the friend question I have here is from Ty Codner. And he says, in terms of technical ability, rank them. So it's a bunch of players. I'll list them out here. Seth Fabregas, Sergio Busquets, Javi Alonso, Thiago Alcantara, Tia, uh, David Silva, and Tony Cruz. Uh, so I guess in, in, just to keep things in order, let's just give our top three here uh, and see what you guys think and, and maybe Ty can respond on the next episode. So Alex, I'll start with you. Once again, I'll read it out in technical abilities. Uh, technical ability ranked the following players, says Fabregas, Sergio Busquets, Javi Alonso, Thiago Alcantara, David Silva, and Tony Cruz. Wow. That, I mean, that's, that's, that's really a tough one because that is – that is taking some of the cream of the crop in terms of midfielders and, and trying to rank them is very difficult when they've all had very impressive careers and some, some really iconic moments. I guess if we're going by technical ability, it, it really is a tough one. I think, I think Busquets, fantastic player. I wouldn't put him quite on the level of some of these others in terms of his actual technical ability. I think it's, it's just his play style, positioning, passing, that, that makes him so good. Um, I really didn't get to see Xabi Alonso play too much. I mean, he's not a player who I've, I've noted significantly. I, I think, I mean, I, obviously I know he was very good and Tiago is, is quite good as well. For me, it would have to be probably David Silva up there for the technical aspect. Maybe, maybe Silva Fabregas, Kroos or Silva Fabregas Tiago. 
because um, I know Tiago, as much as I love love to banter Liverpool players, I think we're all aware that he has a fantastic pass and ball control on him. So, yeah, that is that is a really tough one. But I think for me, it would have to be probably, and I can't even really rank them, but but my top three would be Silva, Fabregas, and probably Tiago. Though Tony Kroos obviously is is right up there. This is a very tough question. Yeah, there, there's some exceptional midfielders in in that list there and uh, like you said we've been close enough to watch a couple of them at least in the premier league some of the other ones we've seen mostly in the champions league and some of the bigger la liga games but jackie do you kind of share the same uh, opinion as alex with those three or do you think one of the other ones can sneak into your top Most, three? mostly yeah mostly but I, i think it's a tough question and i think it's a great question but i can only go off what and who I've had a chance to watch more frequently and, and overall. And, you know, the ones that I can remember and I've spent a lot of time watching was obviously Cesc Fabregas in Arsenal and in Chelsea, a little bit at Barcelona. Xavi Alonso, a lot of people who don't give him credit, I'm going to throw him into this mix because what he did for Liverpool in the early days, taking them to the Champions League, FA Cups, when he was sold, I was like, okay, Xavi Alonso sold, no big deal. Liverpool never looked the same But when he slot into that Madrid team and then following on to that Bayern team, what he did with those two clubs was also incredible. And of course, David Silva, little magician. So those three I could think and then look at it independently. Xavi Alonso, again, technical ability-wise, def- as defensive midfielders go compared to those two, you can't really compare them. He was up there. Cesc Fabregas and David Silva, I think it's more of a direct comparison, but they differ in, in so many different ways as well. I would put Sesk as more of your quarterback playmaker that would give you those beautiful passes. And then David Silva, I think, was a magician. Like they say, sometimes the ball would never leave his foot as he would go through. So from a technical ability only, David Silva for me, but who I'd won in my team and in today's team with Chelsea, I'd take Cesc Fabregas all day because we need that quarterback spraying those balls around. Yeah, fair enough. And, and good analysis there. And I, I kind of share the same opinion as the, as the two of you, simply because we've just seen Uh, those players a lot closer in, in the Premier League. But all great players and all players that in their prime were doing doing the business. So once again, thanks a lot for your question, uh, Ty Codner. And, and for the others listening, please send us your questions too. We'd love to answer them. And uh, if you have a differing opinion, share it with us and, and we'd love to uh, kind of hear your thoughts. But Jackie and Alex, let's move on. We've kind of spoken about it, alluded to it, but it's the return leg of the Champions League. And it's Real Madrid versus Chelsea at the Santiago Bernabeu. First time for Chelsea there. Um, it's going to be, it's a big task. It was a big task even before the first leg. It's now even a bigger task. Real Madrid won over the weekend 2-0 against Getafe. Uh, surprise, surprise, Benzema did not score. But they still won 2-0. And, and Benzema got a 15-20 minute rest, which means he's going to be fresh and ready to go on Tuesday night. Uh, and for Chelsea, trailing by two goals for the first uh, from the first leg at Stamford Bridge, while they will have to equal their biggest margin of victory away from home in the Champions League uh, to enforce extra time, they've only scored more than two goals away from home in the knockout stages of the competition once in 2009. So this this is going to be an interesting way of how Tuchel and the boys approach it. But let's hear your thoughts on the starting eleven. So. I'll open it up. Do we go with the same 11 from the Southampton game, given that we've just won 6-0? Or do we go with something else, Alex? Ah, I It's it's so tough because we really have not, especially this season, nailed down a very best lineup. I think injuries have hampered us in that way. Um, different periods of form and fitness have, injured, have hampered us in that way. So certainly maybe a slightly similar lineup, but I think probably we'll switch it up. Um, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to, to, to guess who we're going to start. I mean, obviously you have players like Mendy did not have a fantastic game in terms of his mistake. Um, though at the same time, at the same time, he also was able to, to make a couple good stops. So I think he he's starting in goal. I think Reese James certainly gets on the pitch. I think Thiago Silva and Rudiger get on the pitch for sure. And then Havertz. And aside from those players, I mean, our best two center backs, our best goalkeeper, realistically, Reese James, who's 
been fantastic and Kai Havertz, it's really just a, a toss up for me in terms of who else you put on the pitch. Cause we've got some good players, but playing them requires slightly different systems. Right. And, and I think, and you're right. It's, it, do we go to a three? Do we go with the four with more attacking intent? Uh, but I asked the same question, Jackie, before I come to you, I asked the same question on Instagram too. And a lot of people think we should go with the same lineup. Some people think that we should bring in Reese, uh, even though Ruben Loftus-Cheek had a pretty good game at right wing back. Reese just brings that whole different element of attacking and, and goal scoring. Some people want to bring in Chaloba for Christensen simply because maybe of the pace. Uh, but apart from that, Everyone's saying bring in Reese, same 11. Reese at center back. Jackie, I want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, Pulisic instead of Alonso, which would be him playing at left wing back, which would be out of position. But again, he could offer something else from, from that position. Uh, and those are the kind of things that some of our followers are saying. Um, Jackie, what are your thoughts? Do you think we go with the same 11? Do you want to bring in maybe a Chaloba, maybe Reese James plays at the right center back with the back three? Or simply are you saying, no, let's go back four because we didn't really get to see that in the first leg? Yeah, look, I, I defer a little bit from everybody's opinion and everybody has a valid opinion depending on the game we're going through. But with all due respect to Southampton, I don't think we can play the same style and the same 11 against Real Madrid. They're not going to give us the amount of space. They're not going to allow us to have free-flowing attacking football. Yes, we can outplay them. We definitely have outplayed them on many occasions, but we leave ourselves vulnerable at the back. And what I noticed is when Tuchel made a tactical switch in the second half of that first game, we looked like a different, barring the Mendy mistake, we looked like a different team. We were able to get our foot on the ball. We were able to control it. And so I believe Madrid is preparing for a back four, a back three, I apologize. And so giving them a back four might throw their whole game plan over. It also gives a little bit of cover. Vinicius was devastating in that first half. And so having somebody cover a dedicated left back, right back position Two center backs, one can always focus on Karim Benzema because we know how good he is. And so we have a little more of a solid lineup. I'll give you what I'm thinking, Rahul, and then we can obviously debate it and go from there. But uh, Mendy and goal, like Alex said, back for Reese, Thiago, Rudy. Uh, it takes the whole debate out of if Christiansen fast enough, is, is Chaloba experienced enough. Uh, left back, I know we've praised him enough today, but we do have to go with uh, Alonso as well. He does have some pace issues, but that's the beauty of a back four. You do have some coverage. Um I'd go with a midfield three, and this is where I'm going to open up for discussion. I think Conte and Kovacic need to get in there. I'll turn it over to you guys in a minute, whether you put Mason Mount in that three, Jorginho, maybe Jorginho plays the anchor, or Ruben Loftus-Cheek had a very good game at right wing back, and he might add some steel to that midfield. Uh, up front, I would go with Hakim Ziyech. I think it suits him in a 4-3-3. Kai Havertz in great form, and Christian Pulisic on the left wing can be devastating. Yeah, that, that's a strong 11. And I think a back four, like I was saying, we switched it in the second half. We didn't get to see the whole impact of it because we went down 3-1 pretty early. Uh, so I think a back four would just be a little more attacking. And of course, we want to defend and not concede goals, but we've got to get, at least get two or three on the other end. So uh, definitely a back four for me. That midfield position, if we're playing Conte and Kovacic, and let's say we go with the Mason Mount. My fear is we don't have anyone kind of sitting at, at the base as, as the anchor, uh, like we've seen maybe with the Jorginho or Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Uh, so in that case, then I would be saying we're dropping Mason Mount, which is not what I want to do. Uh, but let's say we move Mason Mount further up, then that leaves me with Jorginho or Ruben Loftus-Cheek. And I think Jorginho struggled a little bit in that first game just simply because Madrid's pace from midfield or the runs they were making in and around him he couldn't keep up so from that aspect i would say maybe we go with the loftus sheet just from the physicality his ability to maybe shoulder some people or, or run back a little bit faster but it's it's a tough one and and i don't know i think Jorginho is a big game player we've seen him play all our big games last season and he played for italy in the in the euros ruben loftus sheet may not have the experience but it all comes down to what Tuchel thinks. And if he thinks Loftus Cheek is the right man, then he's going to put his arm around him and say, I trust you, go get the job done. And then if I'm moving Mason to the front, I don't know who to drop from Ziek, Cairo, Pulisic. So I'm going to defer to Alex over here. Yeah, it's, it's so tough. And it's certainly something you, you, you don't want to get it wrong because I think Chelsea, we know that Chelsea, when, when we line up well, when we go out with a good system, when we're playing with intensity, Chelsea can have some great results, but all it takes is 
a little miscalculation, a poor matchup in the midfield or something, and, and we can definitely be punished. So it's a tough one. I don't, I don't really see Loftus-Cheek starting in the midfield just based on, on the profile of the players ahead of him in the, in the pecking order and some of the games we've, I mean, we've seen, we've seen essentially this entire team outplay Real Madrid over two legs last season. Um, and we've seen them go toe to toe with Madrid. And I thought, honestly, the scoreline was, was a little deceptive in, in this, in this recent game against them. I definitely agree with the back four though, because I do think, I think, Reese James neutralizing Vinicius is absolutely crucial because I, I believe you guys were saying uh, before we started, uh, Vinicius had another nice assist in, in Real Madrid's weekend game. Right. He provided some really good service from the left and some danger on the transition in the first leg. I think the overwhelming key to this game is just keeping Real Madrid quiet. And that's easier said than done, obviously, when you have a world-class striker like Benzema and a very tricky, pacey winger like Vinicius to, to deal with. And then we saw Valverde, who was, who was pushing up and, and certainly has some skill himself, though he's not maybe a traditional attacker. Um, I think as long as we can keep those, if we can keep their players quiet, I would, I would give whatever front three we put out there, I would say, you know what, if we're confident and we're controlling the flow of this game, I think they can score two goals in 90 minutes against Madrid if we can keep them out of our own net. Um, so I really don't know. I don't know who, who, who wins that sort of midfield selection battle. It's really tough and, and it's difficult too because like no one really picks themselves. I don't think at this point, as we were saying, what we would give to have a Cesc Fabregas, prime Fabregas in this team, who, who, you know, whoever else you put around him, you know, he's going to be there. You know, he's going to put in a shift and, and be dictating the flow of the game. It is really tough because every one of these players has their strengths, but also their limitations. Um, I would love to see Mason Mount centrally is, is all I can say. One, one more time. I think, I think we've seen him be really effective from a slightly deeper role. I don't think we get the best out of him when you put him all the way up in attack. And I think regardless of what happens, I would love to see Mason drifting again in a bit of that free roll. But yeah, this is this is going to be one heck of a game for sure, regardless of what happens. And that's the key, right, Rahul? Let's let's talk about score predictions. We'll come back to Alex, but I'll start with you first. What's your score prediction on this particular game? Oh, man. Uh... If we get the first goal, I think it makes things a lot more interesting. But I also don't want us, and this is more for the squad and for Tuchel if they're hearing, uh, we shouldn't just focus fully on Benzema because we have Vinicius, we have Modric, we have Cruz, we have Casemiro who scored over the weekend. One of their center backs can get up there and get a goal. So I think we fully need to be on our game. And if we get the first one, then we can maybe go ahead and, and, and get the second and third, but if we can see the first one, I think it's over. So I'm going to go for a two, two, and I know it's not going to be a popular choice, but I, I don't think we can, we, we get it done this time. Madrid a little too fired up and, and in the nine times out of 10, nine out, nine out of 10 times that they've been in the second leg after winning the first leg, they've gone through. The only time they haven't was in 2019 against Ajax where they lost four, one at home. Hakim Ziyech was in that squad. So <laughs> <laughs> History could repeat itself, but I think a 2-2 in, in Madrid progress. Okay, tough one. I'm also going to echo some of your sentiments and some concerns, but I'm going to go for a Chelsea win on the night. I'm going to go for a 2-1. We're going to be happy. We're going to go for it, but it's just that third and fourth goal and trying to keep a clean sheet is very, very difficult against Madrid. And so winning on the night, but unfortunately we might go out on aggregate 4-3 to Madrid. But I'll pass it over to Alex. Alex, you're usually the optimistic one of the group, so share some of your optimism with us. Yeah, I think I can see Chelsea going out and getting this done. And I think when we when we conceded two goals in the first leg, a lot of people were all over social media moaning and groaning and saying, this is over, we're dead, it's done. And I said, I, said, I don't think this is over yet. Now, we then got one goal. We were really getting back into the match, and then unfortunately just that, that Mendy error killed us. Um, and really just made it difficult. But then for the remainder of the second half, with that switch to the back four, 
we really did dictate the flow of the game. We outshot them. We outpossessed them. We were getting some good chances. We weren't quite making them count, but I really do have faith in us to bring the game to Madrid, especially if they go in with a bit of a conservative mindset. And I think they'll come out strong because they're at home. The crowd's going to be behind them. But I think, I think if Chelsea stand up to them and, and, and don't roll over and let Madrid just dictate the flow of the game, I think we could see the game transition a little bit, see Chelsea start to take a little more control and see Madrid even just subconsciously not worrying, but trying to hold on to what they have because they do come into this with a two goal lead. Now away goals no longer count. So all Chelsea needs to send this to extra time would be two goals, a win by two, regardless of what that is. And you know what, with Militao suspended, um, from his yellow card in the first leg he's he's now out so that takes out one of real madrid's starting center backs i i have faith in our attackers to put two goals past madrid because we saw in the last leg we could have put four past madrid now they also could have put four or five past us i think if we go out and we play this game like we can we're gonna win um i'm really torn between a 3-1 win and a 2-0 win for chelsea I think we can win by two goals. I think we can send it to extra time. If we go to extra time, I have to back us to win on penalties because, you know, I, I have to. It's the rule. So we'll see. Um, maybe maybe Keppa comes in and, and redeems himself and smashes one bar down to win it for us. Who knows? Um, but I'm, I'm going to go with a 3-1 Chelsea win because I think, I think Chelsea get the first goal. I think that galvanizes us a bit. I think that makes Madrid a little nervous. And I think... If we can get that first goal, I think the other goals will come because I think that puts doubt in Real Madrid's mind and that puts confidence in our mind. Well said. And like I said, you're always the optimistic one. And so hopefully you're going to show up, Rahul and I, and we'll, we'll be celebrating with you regardless because that's what we all want at the end of the day. But guys, last time we were 3-1 down and we had to come back was against Napoli in 2012. And Rahul, I know you put a Mr. Bean face because you know what happened in that season. So <laughs> hopefully Alex is right and we'll go from there. But let, let's talk about some other games that are going on. Um, Villarreal versus Bayern Munich. Uh, Villarreal have a one-nail lead from the first half. Rahul, can they continue this? Can they move on? They they certainly can, but you would expect Bayern at home to be fired up, want to get through uh, to the semifinals. So on the night, I would give it to Bayern, and I would say they they progress. They progress. Okay, that sounds good. Um, Atletico versus Manchester City. Alex, you had a lot of praise for Diego Simeone in the last time we talked about him. They basically sat back and they took a one nil loss, but you never know in the, in the return fixture. Ah, that's, that's another one. That's really, I think is, is very much alive. Um, now I, I see man city coming out with it just because I think Atletico's strength does lie in their ability to sit back and absorb pressure because they have to find a goal. I can see them leaving a little more space than Simeone would otherwise like. I can see them departing from their usual game plan a little bit more. Um, but Atletico certainly have the, the ability to pull off a win versus any team, Man City included. I still think City are going to take this one, though, and I think, I think maybe it's a case of a, a Manchester City 2 or 3-0 win with Atletico breaking their usual play style and, and chasing those goals, I can see City punish them, uh, punishing them. And if City score one goal, Atletico then have to score two. And I think it could just get uglier and uglier as they throw more players forward. But, you know, certainly don't count them out. I, I don't really have too much of a preference in this game because I don't like either team. I, I hope I hope both teams lose. But seeing as that's not an option, I mean, probably City going through there. Fair enough. Rahul, I'll, I'll turn it over to you for Liverpool-Benfica, some IG score predictions, and maybe you can take us home. I mean, Liverpool 3-1 up. We saw them today. They were off in the first half. They still find a way to get a draw against arguably one of the best teams in the world. So you'd expect Liverpool to see this through and make it make it through the semifinals. Uh, the IG score predictions I have are mainly for the Chelsea game, and, the, and a lot of people sharing Alex's thoughts. 2-0, 3-1. Um, someone here, give me a second, said... Captain Rico said 2-0 to Chelsea. Chelsea win 5-4 in penalties, which would be too much for my heart to handle, but I will take it. Um, someone else said, Matt said 3-1 Chelsea, 4-3 Chelsea uh, win on penalties. So it seems like a few people think we're in for a long night. Uh, someone else is saying 4-1 to Chelsea. So people are positive, and I'm sure the 6-0 win has, has hope, gotten the hopes up. 
it's only down to the boys and, and Thomas Tuchel to not never give up as as the shirt behind Alex says uh, and and bring it home and maybe we can end up facing Man City in the semifinals or Madrid again uh, and and we'll see what happens but that wraps it up guys thank you very much for listening please continue to subscribe like and follow us it's at the Premier Chels on Apple Spotify Google and Instagram and on Twitter it's at Premier Chels as and as always send us your feedback and we will be back with a new episode. But until then, stay safe and up the chelps.